0: Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett and I'm Matt Rice and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've been in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything and as damaged as we are, we are ready to bring light to the hurts, hopes and hungers that every ministry leader has. Wonderful. Well, welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing? Welcome to the show, host. That was really weird. Like, I am not a guest, Chris. uh,
1: Yeah, well, sometimes it feels like we've been apart for so long that you feel like a guest to me. So, um, well, great. Okay, so real quick, touch and base. Um, We talked a little bit about some of the beauty of this wedding that you went to and kind of this circle of ministry where it came back and it was like, oh, wait, it's not just about the people we serve, but the people we serve alongside. Mm -hmm. And kind of these beautiful Epiphanies. Um, today I want to talk a little bit about approaches. And I think that there's something about the approach in the ministry that you helped create that uh that uniquely favors one of these two aspects. So I want to I want to dive in today to the difference between teaching and training and kind of unpack where the role of each of them exists.
0: Yeah, and this like this discussion is going to be something that is helpful for ministry leaders in, in multiple areas. Whether you're a pastor um, or like a youth minister or DRE with with volunteers, because this this actually like applies to your volunteers too, um, and you know honestly, all the way down to the people you serve, um, because we like we teach people a lot, but we don't train them. Like, and that's like, and that may be kind of what one of the things you're getting at is we teach people about Jesus, um, but we don't train them how to be disciples.
1: Yes, but. I have seen, especially in a lot of the the social justice movements that have occurred in the last eighteen months, particularly surrounding racism, that there was a lot of training, but not a lot of teaching that goes around it. Are you saying Let teaching
0: me, or training? Say again. Are you saying there was a lot of teaching but no training?
1: I was saying that there, there was a lot of uh, tra- there was a lot of action behavior modification that occurred without the teaching of where that comes from. So as Christians, we believe that racism is a sin, and we want to eradicate sin because there's a greater love. But I believe that in, in the course of the last 18 months, a lot of people could have kind of seen it and said, you know what, I'm a good person, I don't believe in God or anything like that, but this is good because justice is good, so let's go uh, work for justice. And that's true, but it's not as deep or not as meaningful as a justice flowing from a God who is just and merciful, Right? And so if you're doing good things just for the sake of the things themselves, that doesn't have the same depth as if people were well-formed to understand that this is actually flowing from the gospel. And you seeking to eradicate racism is part of your gospel call, not just something that, that is good for society as a member of society, but as a Christian engaging society. Does that make sense?
0: I mean, your 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 like thought process confuses me like crazy. So hold on. So like,
1: let me say it in a different way because this might help. Because
0: you don't have to be a Christian to be anti-racist.
1: Exactly. But my my fear is that the behaviors of a Christian and a non-Christian are indistinguishable when it comes to certain issues. Okay, and 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 I believe that there needs to be some greater depth and formation to let people know that when you're standing for justice, you're standing with Christ. You're not just standing for justice, and there's a there's a spiritual depth that was missed because all that was happening was behavior modification. Which a lot of times we we we, we sit still and and stay quiet during mass, and then it looks like someone who's having a spiritual ecstasy at the same time because they're both. Both people are sitting still. The, the behavior looks the same, but the interior piece is where some of that formation really comes in. Some of that teaching really comes in to add that extra layer of depth. Okay. <laughs> You're walking I, away from it,
0: huh? Yeah, I am. I'm walking away from it. Cause I, I like, let's get back to the topic. Let's talk about the difference between teaching and training. And then maybe we can come back to this and, and there will be connection, but um, yeah, let's go.
1: Okay, good. So, Teaching is an academic activity where knowledge is conveyed to the students um, to help them prepare or know or learn about potential future challenges or events and things of that nature. Whereas training is a process where a person is really developed in a skill set related to a, to a specific outcome, right? Yep. And so, so often we see uh, the role of catechesis or even um, some, some places call it uh, religious education is that the goal is knowledge. Whereas training or what I would call formation is more like an apprenticeship or a discipleship where the goal is actually a lived, uh, where you imitate the master, right? And yes, they did call Jesus teacher, but it, it was more like a an apprenticeship than it was like an academic setting, right? So you
0: almost like saying the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Like you, you said knowledge from teaching, like you didn't say wisdom from training, um, but would those would that correlate? Would that work?
1: I, I think it, it works as well as my
0: analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, like, I, and I don't necessarily. I'm thinking from like top down. Like, if we if we work from even in in the seminaries, you know, a lot of the the time that the priests spend in formation is teaching 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 um and then like they'll have a pastoral year um i think even during their diaconate year right like at least in our diocese they spend some time in practical situations doing ministry right yes and then um even after they have been ordained and graduated seminary um then there's they spend a year or two in a, a pastoral year as an associate or whatever um. Again, gaining a different, yeah, a, a, gaining wisdom or gaining a different of some a different form of that, like actually getting training, right. And then, like you look at them, like he, like you talk to any priest six years after that, and they're like, "Oh man, I thought I knew a lot of stuff, or <laughs> I thought I knew how to be a priest, you know, after the two years." But like, I've learned so much more in the next ten years. Um. And so I think that that like that's one of the things is the 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 training um, on the ground practical like getting things done is so much more valuable um, not that the teaching isn't necessary but so like even like when you talk about college graduates um, those college graduates that apply even here at ablaze um, to be youth ministers they have a like if they've come from franciscan or if they've come from other um, colleges with theology degrees. They actually have to relearn everything that they learned to be able to teach it in a way that's actually digestible. Yeah, because like when, what you learn in theology school, you're, use, you're using a lot of high-level language um, in your papers and all that kind of stuff, and you're supposed to, you have to, and then you go and you try to give that that paper, like you try to give that talk to somebody, whether they're an RCIA or like whatever, um, it, it's going to be over their head.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and so it's moving from the theoretical to the practical. Yeah. And I guess if if uh, if you want to go to extremes, I've known people with doctorates in theology that did not have a relationship with Christ, yep. and then I've known people that have had very little training in regards to um, uh, theological formation that are living saints and amazing ministers that know how to accompany people like crazy. Mm -hmm. And when it comes time for that, well, I don't know the answer. Well, I don't know the answer either, but I know someone who does and they journey there together. And if I had to choose one, I'd choose the person that's trained, but not, uh, not, not taught. But the ideal situation I think is actually a blending of the two. And I don't think that the way you describe the priest is the best blending where it's being taught, 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 taught where you're theoretical, 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 and then on the back end, it's practical, practical, practical. Yeah. I need those skills and abilities to be developed through training, be reinforced through teaching, then that information to be applied again through training, through more development of skills and abilities. And I think there's this, this beautiful relationship between the two. Now, as ministry leaders, I think we need to reflect on that reality because a lot of times those that uh, that we serve And I think it's important to recognize the difference between those that we serve and those that consume. So we serve the pastor. We serve a lot of times a pastoral council or uh, a group of people that are uh, over us in regards to it. But those that consume what we do are oftentimes a different group of people. So RCIA, for example, serves the pastor and serves kind of that aspect, but the actual consumers are non-Catholics coming into the church. And so how do we make it to where those who kind of lead and say, well, we want you to teach the youth, or we want you to teach the non-Catholics, when in reality, it's like, well, I need to balance it by training them as well and giving them experience to grow their skills and abilities, because I've seen it. They receive a sacrament in a variety of different ways, whether it's Confirmation, First Communion, um, or RCIA, the whole kit and caboodle, where they've received a lot of knowledge, a lot of education, but then the day after the sacrament, they sit down and they don't know how to pray. They don't have that ability, yep. And that that is is an injustice. That's an injustice that should make us cry out to God, you know. And so my question is: as ministry leaders, how do we assess that? How do we find the balance? Because I believe that that Ablaze, as an organization, really, um, really met to try and bring balance to that pendulum, and I don't think the pendulum swings right in the middle. I think it leans a little more to the training side at least for the demographic that we serve primarily which is youth and youth leaders
0: yeah are you thinking are you saying it should like ours should or like um should lean more towards the training side in in every aspect
1: so long as there's still some teaching that accompanies the training but that the training the skill building is the most important piece because i want them to walk away knowing how to find an answer than, than being crazy enough to assume that they could walk away knowing every answer, yeah. like that skill set alone of learning how to find an answer is so vital for for the the Gen Z. Yeah,
0: I think you know teaching and then application, you know, um, like are, are, is what we're talking about here. Like I'm going to teach you something and then we're going to apply it. And when you were talking about that, it actually reminded me of. I mean, I don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure I'm pretty sure it's prevalent across a lot of different areas but I know that I first heard about it when my wife was talking about how her training went with uh, in her teaching you know and training went in medical school. And yeah. you've heard this before Chris you know I know you have the the whole I do you watch and then we talk about it and then I do you help and we talk about it. You do I help and we talk about it. And then you do I watch and then we talk about it. Um so that whole process of like training Um, and, and, and having the teaching like at each step along the way. Um, but you also have teaching at the beginning, you know, before all that starts. And then at the end, um, you're actually the the new person or whatever is actually the one giving the teaching, you know? And so then you've just like closed that loop as far as how that, how that whole, all that training should go, but teaching all along the way.
1: And I would call that process apprenticeship. Yeah. I think that the Process of apprenticeship shows as much as we can communicate almost the perfect union between training and teaching, the practical and the theoretical.
0: Yeah, but all too often, like, and, and you've seen this, like, we we take kids straight out of college um, in ministry and we plop them like straight from the theoretical and plop them straight into ministerial like the into the practical with no transition no training no formation and that's that 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 is one of the reasons why ablaze exists you know is is for people who are interested in ministry to get actual practical on the ground training or be apprenticed you know at at, like to be youth ministers and not be thrown to the wolves and and honestly like and this is something i've said and you, you and i have talked about before is like whether it's someone who's ha- like has a undergraduate degree from a college or a graduate degree from a college or no degree from a college, any one of those people would work fine and work great in ministry if they're called there. Um, and so like because we have the teaching and not that we're going to teach at a graduate level or anything like that, but the teaching that's necessary um, for the for what they're going to be doing, um, we absolutely provide that. I and mean, we modify and adjust that depending on where they are. Um, but when expecting individual parishes to do that um, is hard. So I, I think maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's not hard because we've got ministry leaders here at individual parishes that are listening to this podcast right now. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do when you bring someone on? Like, what does it look like? Whether it's, I don't know if it's onboarding stuff or whatever, but what, is, what does it look like for you to um, apprentice the people that are on your staff?
1: With, and not just on your staff, but when it comes to First Holy Communion, you have those parent meetings. Yeah. And in those parent meetings, you're teaching. You're not training in a lot of ways, right? Because that apprenticeship uh, kind of approach is not easily scalable. But to bring 40 parents together and lead an afternoon session where you make a felt banner about the bread and the wine, you know what I mean? Like that is absolutely <laughs> scalable. You can you can have 100 people show up or you can have 40 people show up. It's just mm-hmm. buying more supplies. But the accompaniment that's required in the apprenticeship, in the training aspect of it, is not scalable. And I think that we need to be confronted and even conflicted with the way that we're doing some of our programming. Yeah. I really believe that because I think sometimes we're doing teaching and then we're dissatisfied that the fruits aren't the same fruits as if we would have done training Yep, and skill building. Because parents don't know how to pray with their children, because pr- parents don't know how to pray with the Lord, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. People attend Mass, and a lot of people attend Mass out of guilt or obligation. And you see that when that was removed during the, the, the pandemic, that it changed a lot of people's approach or understanding or relationship with the liturgy and devastated a lot of people's relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, that, that that's a hard reality because we did not train people how to pray outside of the priest basically praying before them if they weren't engaged in the liturgy in the appropriate ways. And they knew what was going on. We know that it's Jesus, right? But now we can't go in a lot of areas even still because of restrictions. And so Mm -hmm. I I think that we need to be uncomfortable by that fact. And I think we need to question whether or not um, investing or over-investing in a smaller flock, kind of like what Matt Riggett's talked about, over-investing in a few, um, might be a better approach so that we have people that we're apprenticing in the ministry. And arguably, like what you're saying, Matt, in the way that you structured a blaze, what if we overinvested in a few, and instead of just forming them as disciples, we form them as disciple makers so that they go out and they invest in a few more. Mm-hmm. And that's how we multiply our gifts in a way that's relational, in a way that fosters accompaniment or the apprenticeship model, which balances the training and the teaching. But I believe that it's probably about three quarters training and one quarter teaching to give the why behind the what. But the what is so important. The what takes more time and the what needs to be repeated so that it really sinks into the ministry leader um, so that so that they can share it with others.
0: Yeah, I was uh, this reminds me of a conversation I had. Last week with Alyssa, and it was kind of about confirmation. I like I, I kind of want to I I want to blow up the way that we do confirmation, not confirmation the sacrament, but just the way we do it, you know. And and what can we do? And, and trying to think outside the box, yada yada yada. Well, anyway, like it led us down this path of, you know, confirmation actually being a part of baptism, you know that that like originally, um, it was like confirmation was done during baptism, and so the the formation of the sacrament, both of those sacraments are disjointed and they shouldn't be like the formation for baptism and the formation for confirmation should be very similar. Um, and so I don't know, like, so that was one of the thoughts is like, okay, well, could we take our confirmation program and plop? and, And like, whenever we have confirmation, can we bring people that are being formed for baptism to participate in that? Is our, is our formation for confirmation close enough to the formation for baptism, that they can do that. And if it's not, then we've got something to do. We, we need, we've got some work to do because there's this disjointed nature between the two that they're not like, they, they are that connected and they should be. Um, and so and then it was like, okay, well, what does it look like to, uh, to do that? And then like, how do you accompany, how do you walk with people? And like, how many people do you have that go through baptism every month in your parish? Um, my guess is it's a, it's a fairly large number. Um, and maybe I could be depending on the parish, I don't know. but if you were to accompany like if you were to apprentice those families, what would that apprenticeship look like? Um, and, and would you would you have to put off baptism for a little while for the apprenticeship to actually happen? And can you do that? Do you want to do that? Like, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <sighs> okay. So first of all, um, hoorah for restored order that you just made an argument towards at least leaning in that in that direction. Um, what if we did what you're saying? Let's say you have 10, which I think would be a big parish to have 10 baptisms a month. Let's say over the year you average 10 baptisms a month. That's 120 people, families. Maybe 119 if there's an Irish twin in there. <laughs> Families that you need to accompany and journey with. But if you form them and journey with them, because most of these baptisms are going to be infant baptisms, which means you're journeying the parents and you apprentice them, what does it look like in seven years when it's time for their first holy communion? And you form them as the primary faith heralds in the home. Yep. And now all of a sudden these youth are coming in at age seven. And they're already on fire. Of course mm-hmm. I go to Mass. Of course we do this. This is just part of who I am. I'm Catholic. That's part of my identity, right? Instead of, hey, this is my first time back since I got baptized, <laughs> right? And so yep. it's, it's the difference between teaching and training and accompanying. Um, but to answer your question in regards to maybe delay sac- uh, a sacrament or maybe delay baptism, I struggle with that because the Church exists to dispense the sacraments but she exists to responsibly dispense the sacraments.
0: Hold on. Like, just, re- no. Like, <laughs> sorry. The church doesn't exist to dispense the sacraments. The church exists, you know, to bring people to Christ. And the sacraments are the way that God has given the church to do so.
1: Baptism is the gateway to all other sacraments. sacraments <laughs> I know, but provide like, real grace. The only way don't it's the say gateway it of like grace. that.
0: Don't say it like that. I don't like that. It, I don't she like the way you exist say. Exists to
1: withhold. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, she does not okay, exist to okay. withhold the sacraments or to <laughs> ransom the sacraments or you didn't pay a big enough fee or things like that. There's a lot of okay. things that go on in the church surrounding the sacraments that are manipulative at times.
0: Yes. Right. Okay. Thank
1: you. At, at certain parishes and things like that. And if we can order our understanding, because the church exists to evangelize. Amen. Part of that evangelization is. Uh, disposing them to God's grace. The most effective way to get God's grace is through sacraments. <laughs> and baptism is the gateway to all those are sacraments. So when yep. you're talking about delaying, delaying baptism, there's a concern because an atheist could baptize a person in a, in a, in a case of urgency, right? Just get some water form and matter. Boom. Because we need to make the church makes this sacrament so available because it, it names you and marks you as a child of God. Like this is, this is how the church grows in its membership. And so to withhold that membership concerns me. Th- mm-hmm. That concerns me. But to be able to responsibly dispense the sacraments, yep. which is the church's task, the word responsible is what is the hangup for me. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause I've seen it done irresponsibly in so many different ways, but I've also seen it done responsibly and beautifully in a number of ways as well.
0: We are getting so off topic, but like, I don't want to stop. So one of the things that, uh, that, that is hard about all this is, um, I don't know, um, just the, what people need to know about what they're receiving. Right. Um, and I, I can't think of another analogy. Of course, you may be able to help me, but it's like, you know, um, oh, I here, get, I'll take, let me have, no, stop. Let me have this lion and I'll hold it with this little piece of twine. And it's like, hold on a sec. I'm giving you a lion. You don't want to hold it with this little piece of twine. You actually want to put it in a cage you <laughs> know, or something like that, you know? And so it's like, Like someone comes to you and says, I I want to be baptized or I want to baptize my kid. Okay. Do you know what this is? Do you know what this means? Like, are you like, and not, not, not really, are you sure you want this? You know, but, but, but maybe, are you sure you want this? Because this is what this means, you know, and this is what baptism means. And this is what you're committing to, you know? And so I think they're, they're like delaying it in order to like, to educate Boy. like we talked about we, we kind of what we're talking about here you know um delaying it in order to teach you know um and then and then also train i think is important now now do you teach and then baptize and then train um i don't because then then they may not be go through the training
1: <laughs> right and so th- this is the the, dr- the driver's ed conversation yeah if yeah. if we gave if we gave the youth their driver's license and then ask them to go to driver's ed, they wouldn't. They were no. hey, like, "I got my driver's license, I'm going to go." And what I'm ended out. up happening is you you'd, you'd want to buy your kid a used car, for sure, <laughs> yeah. a cheap used car, because that would be how they would be trained is yep. through through failure. And so, but but at the same time, um, there has to be a balance. There has to be, and I think there needs to be some training involved in every teaching, and mm-hmm. some teaching involved in every training. Yep. Uh, but if you've got to lean one way or the other. I think formation needs to be more training than what it, it currently is.
0: Yeah. It, it, across all spectrums from baptism up to holy orders. Amen.
1: Especially here in the United States where um, where academia rules a lot of the different regulations and, and pieces like that. Mm-hmm. We go in to, to get our kid, uh, you know, sacrament of First Holy Communion. Um, and it's make sure you have the paperwork in on time. Make sure you've done these things. And it's really, it's just like signing a contract on, uh, on uh, you know, Priceline.com or a hotel, getting a hotel or anything like that, going zip lining. Fill out these forms and then you can have access to the thing. Yep. Jump through these hoops and then you can have access to these things. Instead of almost like an unveiling. Mm -hmm. Right. Like on a wedding day and the veil gets pulled back and it's like all of a sudden something even greater is revealed. And along the way, these revelations need to be greater and greater. And it's like, how do I steward this? How do I know which one is the gas pedal and the brake? And this is what you're going to know. And this is what you're going to see. And this is what you're going to experience. And this is what it might or might not feel like. And this is how you're called to live it out. And then on that day, we journey with them afterwards. After and, and and that's the piece that I think we fail at as well as our confirmation programs and our sacramental programs should have more follow up piece. Yeah. But it's discouraging because when we say, "Hey, it's like the 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 leper, the lepers that 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 ten were healed and only one came back." Oh yeah. It's like then let's pour into that one. Let's
0: just yeah. do, do it. Still do it. Yeah. One of the thoughts that we had had when in Alyssa and I's conversation was uh, like almost having two different tracks um, for confirmation. Um, one of them being like an application track, like the, that youth would have to apply to be a part of that track. Um, and that track would involve some serious training. I'm not just teaching, but training, um, because you're still going to have people that are just want to check the box. And it's like, I, I, I can't help it. You know, it, like we, we can't do anything about that really. Um, and, and so on the same thing here on the, on the baptism side of things, it may be kind of cool to, to offer mentorship to offer apprenticeship to those parents that come, or maybe even uh, like inspire, you know, say, Hey, you, you seem like a family that would really love to be mentored by another family through this process. So instead of coming to this Saturday class with all these other people, I can, I can connect you with this, this couple that would be, that would love to to, to walk with you through this process and you just learn how to do it and learn what baptism is and, and all that stuff from them.
1: So first of all, we brought it back around. That was amazing, Matt. Way to bring it all back together. We did. did Um, (laughs) The second thing that I think is so important for ministry leaders to hear is that the apprenticeship piece does not require you to be the one that's doing the apprenticing. Mm -hmm. Connecting people using your circle of influence and calling others into ministry, which is our job, you know what I mean? Calling people to respond to their calling as a disciple. We're baptized as priest, prophet, and king. So if people are like, well, I don't really feel qualified or I don't think this is my thing. It's like, well, how else are you living out your calling to be a priest, a prophet, and a king? Let's at least do this one until you figure out some better way. Okay. Can you (laughs) Yes, I can train you. I will journey with you. I will be here to help you be successful. And uh, and that is where maybe some of that apprenticeship takes place is so that we can multiply within our circle of influence. And I think that that's a beautiful way to approach it is how can we help others help others? I love it. Awesome, you guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today here on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. We ask that you subscribe, click that bell, whatever it is, do the thing so that you can keep hearing and journey along with us and share this with someone. Um, Share this with your favorite person that uh, accompanied you. Like seriously, that would be an amazing compliment to them. Just say, I listened to it and I just made me think of how grateful I am for the way that you journeyed with me.
0: All right. And send any feedback you guys have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone.
1: Twice, I guess. Yeah. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go
0: quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together.
1: Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and to examine the, the balance, that delicate balance between teaching and training.
0: We'll see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you. No script for me. Yay. Good job. Woo-hoo. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks, man.